Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. We're going to continue in our series uh, today called Psalms for Now. Psalms for Now. So this, this series is we are we're diving in to take a deep dive, a, a close examination of three of arguably the most popular psalms uh, that we read, that we come across in Scripture. Uh, psalms, if you open your Bible to the middle, more than likely you're going to fall in this vast expanse of great Scripture. And Psalms is really where we see people, real world people, interacting and engaging. We see their relationship with the Lord spread out on the text for us today. And so we'll find psalms of, of praise and adoration of God. Well, like last week when we read Psalm 51, we read where David had a repentant heart. And so there's a vast expanse of relationship, of interaction uh, with uh, the Lord and his uh, providence for us. So today we're going to be in Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And so the Psalm 91 is another psalm where we're looking at uh, we're an unknown author. So we believe that it could be either written by David, the Septuagint, which is an ancient Greek translation of the scriptures. They attribute it to David. And this is very reasonable. David in his life had many experiences of trials and tribulations and difficult times. And so it's very reasonable that he could be the author. Or other scholars believe that it could be Moses because linguistically it is very similar to Psalm 90 just before it. And we know that through Moses' life, as he was the chosen leader of the people of Israel to bring them out of captivity in Egypt, that he would have experienced many trials and tribulations and really looked to the Lord for protection and guidance. And so though the authorship remains anonymous, the value today of Psalm 91 for us is deep, it's true, it's universal. Um, as we would consider either David or Moses, both of these guys are writing from a position of leadership, of, of authority. They're writing from a position of intimacy with God. Uh, you know that Moses was God's chosen man. When God needed a leader to call his people out, he chose Moses. And we read uh, Moses pushed back a little bit. He had a disagreement with the Lord, said, no, no, I, I'm slow of speech. I can't do these things. And God says, I am and I will. Uh, So we see Moses, he would have had many struggles, many trials, but yet seen many victories. And as you think of the life of David, as we looked last week, uh, David had some trials, he had some struggles, but yet Scripture says of him that he was a man after God's own heart. And so no matter the author here, as we look to see the content of Psalm 91, we can see that it's written from a person of intimacy, of close relationship with the Lord. If Psalm 91 were to answer a question for us, it may be, who will protect me? Who will give me strength? Who will give me guidance through this life? So as we begin today, I encourage you to think of a time that God has protected you, that he has spared you, 
It may be something of a a great adventure where you narrowly escape danger. It could be something as common as you had a green light, but yet you see a car speed through a red light, and you think, if I was one instant sooner, that would have been me. No doubt, if you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, you have experienced God's protection, his provision in your life. And so as we jump into this text today, I want to encourage you to celebrate the hope, to celebrate the promise of God's protection, but yet there's a tension within this text. There's a tension as we read of God's protection, of his provision, that we are faced with the times where we didn't see it play out the way we thought it should. We didn't see God's protection come through maybe the way we wanted to. So there's a tension, there's a promise and a tension And as we would think of David or Moses authoring this, we can see that they would have seen God's great provision, him to move mountains before them, but yet they would have experienced the tension of trials. And so as my friend Miss Karen comes up to read the text today, I encourage you to listen in to hear the promise of protection. But I also encourage you today, let's not shy away from the tension that may be present. Because if we're going to jump into the rich text of Scripture, sometimes we're going to have to deal with the tensions as well as the promise. And so we're endeavor to do that today. So, Ms. Karen, would you come and lead us in Psalm 91? Good morning. Psalms 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. And show him my salvation. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we praise your name this morning, Lord. I praise the word is given this morning, Father, that our hearts are opened, our ears are opened, and our eyes are open to you, Lord, that we may receive. It's in your holy and precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we have a promise. We have the promise of God's protection of his provision, but yet... We acknowledge today that there may be a tension within this text for us. So as we begin to unpack, let's start looking at the promise. 
So as we jump into this scripture throughout the text, throughout this uh, promise of God's protection, we hear uh, the author pointing to God as the source of protection, as the author of our story, as the great provider, the great uh, healer, the great sustainer. Within the first two verses, we see four different names of God given. He begins by saying the Most High, which in Hebrew is Elyon, and it expresses the extreme sovereignty of our God and that it's God's highest preeminence. So again, we're immediately, right at the beginning, we're setting God, we're acknowledging that He is Most High, that He is sovereign. And He goes on in that, within those first two verses to call God the Almighty God. And this is in Hebrew, Shaddai. And this refers to God as completely nourishing, satisfying, supplying his people with all of their needs as a mother would with a child. Hey, there's your Mother's Day reference. So we see again another name of the Lord. And he would say the Lord as in Yahweh. And this is the proper name of the one true God. Self-evident, self-existent, the Lord complete and before he closes out verse 2, he says, my God, which is Elohim. He says, this is the supreme God, the most high. And so immediately the author has set out that we know that this is God who is to give us this promise. It is God who is to give us the strength. It is he alone who can sustain us and give us hope for the world for which we live in. The framework of this promise that we are looking at today is set within intimacy with Jesus. It is framed within intimacy with God. And so as we work through this text today, that will be the lens for which we have to view the promises given. It's the undertones, the undercurrent of the whole thing. It's based on intimacy with God alone. Within the text, we find so many descriptions, so many practical handles for us to understand what God's protection looks like, how it engages us, how we engage him. He begins by saying, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So shelter here, you have this idea of a secret hiding spot, of that place that you can go to when trials come your way. He refers to it as rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Shadow here is the idea of defense as well as shade. And so you can imagine within this arid climate that they well understood the reprieve, the rest that was found in shade. And if we're honest today, and moms too, doesn't the idea of rest sound good in and of itself? Like, doesn't that sound like an invitation, a promise worth leaning into? He goes on to say, God is my refuge and my fortress. Refuge here, we can think of shelter, of trust, of safe place within the storm. We're a little bit removed from this today in our geographical area, but you, are you familiar with a storm cellar? That place that was dug into the ground where if there was a tornado or fierce storm coming that you would go and find shelter and seek refuge from what was happening outside. Today, if we were to need to seek shelter, to seek refuge, we would go back to this bathroom hallway where it's built with block and it's surrounded by concrete. That is our place of refuge, our place of safety. So that today is our application. We can think of God as being our refuge, that place we go that's fortified, that's safe despite the trials around us. The author goes on to say that he will cover you with his feathers or with his wings. And the imagery here is how a mother hen protects her young. When there's danger coming, when there's a fire, there's a storm, the mother hen seeks to gather her chicks around and protect them 
underneath her wings. We can see this lived out in our world. If you want to know just the tenacity of even this imagery, if you go walk up on a Canadian goose that's on a nest, you will very quickly find out that you are going to be run away. So you can see this in our world, and the author's pointing to that reality that God wants to draw us in. He will protect us. He will shelter us from the trials and the storms. The author says that the Lord will be your shield and your rampart. And this idea was a large shield that would cover the whole body from the attack of the enemy. In verse 6, there's even a reference to darkness. Now, we're a household that has like six nightlights in it, so you don't have to tell me about the dangers of the darkness. We try to protect ourselves from that anyway and any time. But the Hebrew word that they used here can also mean the dark side, the spiritual dark world that we don't always perceive. And if you think of the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, where he advises us to put on the full armor of God, and he says that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we get this idea here that God's protection is not only for us in the world that we see, that we experience, that we're driving around in, but that it's protection, it's his looking after us in the spiritual realm as well. And so throughout this text, the author has given us great handles, great practical ways to view the way that God is caring for his children, the, the invitation for us to draw near, to hear his heartbeat close to the, under his wings, how the chicks would hear and flourish under their mother's wings. The invitation is here that we are to trust in him. And you'll notice through this text that it's very objective. It's very based on God's ability to provide, not necessarily on ours. The subjective nature is that we come to him, that we love him. That's what's on us, is that we will place our trust and our faith in the one who can protect us. It is God who is our protector today. It is God who is our redeemer. It is God who is our sustainer. But there remains a tension today, right? We look all around. We don't even really have to look far if we're honest. We can look in the lives of those close to us, to friendships, to acquaintances. We can see people where we perceive that God's protection didn't come through. There's a tension here, right? There's deep searching questions that come along with this. Why? Why didn't you step in there? Why didn't that go differently? Today, if we want to plummet the depths of the invitation here, we can't shy away from the tension. Because whether David or Moses or another author, they understood the tension, but yet they confidently proclaimed God's provision. So I just want to acknowledge today that there may be some of you that this is a hard concept. That it's hard for you to believe that God's promise of protection and provision really is for you. But the truth of Scripture stands today, friends, that it is for you. It is for those who will call on him, who will come near. Maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe you feel even like you don't deserve it, like you've done something wrong, like God can't bring you back. But today the invitation is to draw near. So how do we begin to work through this tension? Because it's very real, it's very evident 
in our lives? How do we begin to work through this? How might we understand it today in our context? I think we can begin by just acknowledging that the world that we experience today, that we see, that we navigate, that breaks our hearts, friend, the world that we experience today is not how God intended it. It's not. God did not create a world that was full of brokenness, that was full of hopelessness and despair and death and sicknesses and selfishness. That was an invasion on his good creation. When God finished his good work of creation, we read this account in Genesis, he turned back and he said, it is good. But yet we know there was an invasion. There was an invasion of sin, of evil. We have released in our disobedience a power. We've released the influence of evil into our world. And today, many of the things we view and that we struggle with and that hurt us and that cause sickness and death, those are an invasion of evil in God's good creation. The world we view and live in today is not how God intended it. So there's a tension. This tension can sometimes cause us to wrestle. It can sometimes cause us to try to sort it all out in our minds. How is the God, the most high God that we've read about and we've already acclaimed as most high, why doesn't he intervene? Why didn't he do that differently? Friends, sometimes today, I do this. We question God's sovereignty. We struggle to understand what he's up to. A lot of the questions, a lot of the tension I believe today, friends, is that we're struggling with God's sovereignty. We look at the scriptures and through Psalms and even through the New Testament, we can see the testimony of the saints and we can see how God moved and how God provided, but yet we can see those times where things don't make sense. It causes us to wrestle, to struggle sometimes with how it all works. God's okay with us wrestling, friends. Wrestling is not a condemnation as long as we're wrestling, as long as we're looking to him. If we ask our questions to the world of what God's up to, all the world can give us back is brokenness and despair and hopelessness. It knows no other source. But if you're wrestling today, will you ask your question to the one who can answer? I think author and scholar N.T. Wright can help us today begin to put uh, God's sovereignty, his authority, into a different light. N.T. Wright says, rather, speaking of God's sovereignty, his authority, says God's authority vested in Scripture is designed, what it's for as all God's authority is designed to liberate human beings, to judge and condemn evil and sin in the world in order to set people free to be fully human. That's what God is in the business of doing. That is what his authority is here for. That's a powerful truth, and it's good news today. God's sovereignty is the story of his redemption narrative that we are alive in today, that we can be a part of today. We see the down payment of his resurrection in Christ Jesus. 
God's sovereignty, how he was using his authority, his sovereignty, his ability, is that the redemption narrative continues no matter what evil comes in, no matter what brokenness comes out of our world, that his redemption narrative continues. And we read in Revelation the promise that one day there will be new heaven, there will be new earth where there's no more brokenness and no more pain. But friends, God is tearing that none shall perish, but all would come to saving knowledge of him. So what we see in God's sovereignty is not a grand control master pushing buttons and dictating every person's every move. It's not like you would see an operator sitting in a backhoe pushing and pulling levers, making the machine dig dirt like we see them do. No. God is resolutely seeing his redemption narrative through to completion. That's his sovereignty at work in our lives today that we are invited into as his people So what we see here is a loving God that is stopping at nothing to see our redemption, to see everyone come to know saving knowledge of him, to know new life. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, this view of God is large enough to handle free will. It's large enough to handle disobedient people doing horrific things. But God will not be defeated. He will not be overcome. That's the promise that we have in this text. It provides us a framework that we can view God's promise with when we understand what he's up to. But even as we begin to wrestle with this uh, temptation, this tension, there remains a temptation. The temptation is that we can come to God with our ideas, with our say in how things might ought to go. Have you ever been there? Lord, I think we should do this. Lord, I, I think you should do this. Lord, I think you should give us that. Friends, the temptation today is that we come to God with our plans rather than coming to him seeking his plan. I've seen me do it. I've seen me do it. Let's look again for just a moment at verse 11 and verse 12 in our text. So Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. You read a very familiar text here. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Does that scripture sound familiar from the life of Jesus? That is the exact scripture that the devil used to tempt Jesus while he was in the wilderness. In the temptation for Christ there that day, the enemy came up to him. He had been fasting for 40 days, and we know he was wrestling and doing battle with evil, and he would conquer, but the enemy comes up and takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, jump off, cast yourself down. You will not strike your foot against a stone. The temptation there was, don't go through with it. Don't go through with what God has called you to. Don't do the suffering. Skip all that. Jump down. He will protect you. Make your life about your plan, not the Father's. That temptation is very real for us today too, isn't it? That the temptation is that we will be about our plans, about our agenda, short-circuiting God's redemption narrative playing out all around us. Whether it's at work, kids' fishing day, or volunteering at the food bank. 
the temptation is that we are always to short-circuit God's redemption because it's a bigger story than just our own. It's the story that your friends, your family, your neighbors are caught up into. I propose that we need to be vigilant in our relationship with Jesus to make sure that we always are surrendering our plans to him. That we're always living and holding on to things with open hands. So that we can be a part of the story he's telling and not our own. And a lot of this temptation is hard to come by, it's hard to recognize because it can be about good things. We can start businesses or plan careers, enter relationships, change churches, plan vacation, buy homes, change schools, do all these things. We can set off and endeavor on them and not pause to hear the still small voice of the Lord. And the next thing you know, we're about our plans and not his. The invitation is to draw near, to draw into his protection, into his plan. Friends, if, I, if I'm honest with you today and as I look back and I try to survey my life in the eyes of maybe this temptation of where did I hold my plans before his, if I was to confess to you today that the greatest thing God has ever protected me from was myself because I had a lot of plans. I had a lot of dreams that were pretty good. I don't mind saying myself. They seemed okay. But I had never surrendered those plans to the Lord. And so I would say today the greatest thing that the sovereign God has ever protected me from was myself. So there stands an invitation today. There stands an invitation. Will you live his story for your life? Or will you continue to pursue your story? Let's look at the last three verses here. The last three verses of our text. It says, because he loves me, says the Lord. So what we've seen here is that we've switched who's speaking. So the Lord is now speaking in these last three verses of our text. He says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Friends, the invitation today is simple. It's to love God passionately. Jesus said that we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. We're to love Jesus, to love the Lord with our all. And we can see here through this text that that's the pivot point. That is the point at which this whole text swirls around and pivots around us, that we are loving God, we are surrendered to him, our comings and our goings. If we're dwelling in his shelter, we're close to him. If we're counting on his refuge and he is our fortress, we have surrendered and come through the narrow gate of his protection. If we're underneath his wings, we can hear his heartbeat. 
Friends, the true power of this promise that we read today is relationship. It's relationship. You can say, you might question even, aren't we just trying to excuse the tension? You might argue that today. Isn't this seeing the tension and the the temptation and even the invitation, aren't we just trying to short-circuit the things we see? And I, I would say no. I would say that the invitation here is to put on the eyes of faith, that we would change the way we view everything to see it through relationship with Jesus Christ. I think it's that view as we drill down, and there's no way that we can do this in 30 minutes today, or if we, even if we have three hours, I don't think we can plummet the depths that faith and trust in God plays in this conversation. Let's fast forward to the life of Jesus for just a minute. Towards the end of his ministry, the cross is right ahead, and we read in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They're close around, and in John's gospel account, they've just done the foot washing, and we see that the disciples were still not quite sure what was happening because they were still trying to sort out who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. But as Jesus is resolutely seeing his plan fold out in front of him, as he is resolutely trying to prepare his disciples, he says these words. I have told you these things, these great promises. I've told you what's about to happen. I've told you of my love for you. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, the invitation today is not to live a trouble-free life. The invitation is to come into Jesus, to live out of his overcoming strength, to allow his plan to be your story. So as we look at our text today, at the promise of protection, of provision, Will you live his story? As the band comes today, if there was a sheet of music laying before you today, is it your song or is it his? You'll hear a lot of people talk about of wrestling with God, some of that tension we see. And we tend to hold on to our future. We hold on to our plans. But friends, if we're holding on, if we're hunkering down, we can't fully embrace the promise of his protection. So the invitation today is to allow Jesus to author your story. To allow Jesus to purify your heart, to fill your heart, and to guide your steps moment by moment, day by day. Then as we are trusting in faith, as we're believing in the God who says, I will protect you, I will answer when you call, as we believe and as we trust, we begin to see his plan play out in our lives. We begin to see all of life through a different lens. It changes our perspective. So as we worship today, reflect on the question, whose plan am I living? 
Whose plan am I living out in my life? You might be here today in a place to say, Lord, I need protection. I see these things happen. I need to be a part of this promise. The invitation is open today. Be a part of the redemption story that God is resolutely seeing through. It's happening now. The story that we read in Scripture that that starts in Genesis and goes to Revelation, we're in it right now. Will you be a part of his story? Pray with me today. Father, we, uh, we thank you today that, Lord, you, Lord, you are not on trial today. God, you have already shown us your great love in Christ Jesus. You have shown us how far you will go to reconcile us to yourself. So, God, today we thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you for your protection. Lord, that as, as we look through your lens for our lives, Lord, that we can see everything happening around us through your lens, through it promoting, through continuing your redemption. Because, Lord, we acknowledge today that you desire that everyone would come to know you. So, Lord, that is a surrendering on our part, that, Lord, we will surrender our lives, that we will surrender our all to you, Lord, to be written into your story today in all of our days. So as we respond today in song and worship, Lord Jesus, open our hearts. Open our hearts today. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.